Chapter 9 of Bon Marie. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Susanna Mason. Bon Marie, a tale of Normandy and Paris by Henry Cheville. Translated by Mary Neal Sherwood. Chapter 9 Mademoiselle Beslin. The school with the address of which Mademoiselle Beslin had been furnished was near the Champs Elysees, and assisted by several persons who answered her inquiries with courtesy, the young stranger found herself at last before a dark green door, on which was inscribed in large letters, Institution Bocard. The bell which Bonne-Marie had lightly touched rang through the house. A dog barked outrageously, and just as the young girl, after waiting long and anxiously, had decided that she would rather go away than again awaken all this clamor by another appeal to the innocent-looking knob that seemed to be the offending cause, the door opened, and the pointed nose of a precise and neatly-dressed concierge nearly hit Bonne-Marie in the eyes. "'What do you want?' asked the woman, who, as she examined from head to foot, the country girl whose simple dress and provincial mourning indicated no great amount of the goods of this world. "'I should like to speak to Mademoiselle Bocard.' "'Mademoiselle cannot be seen at this hour. She is taking her chocolate,' said pointed nose in a tone that was the reverse of polite. "'I have a letter,' replied Bonne-Marie so haughtily that the concierge repented of her rudeness. "'Mademoiselle will receive you at twelve she answered more civilly. "'If you choose to give me a letter, I will—' "'No, thanks,' answered the girl, remembering that she had been especially advised to see the persons to whom the letters were addressed. This prudence raised her to an enormous height in the estimation of the concierge, and induced her to say, "'If you will come back at eleven, I shall tell Mademoiselle.' "'Thank you,' said Bonne-Marie, with a gracious bow, and turned away, leaving on the mind of the astonished concierge the impression that she was a foreigner— and a countess who wished to penetrate the interior of the school in disguise, for some reasons of her own. Three hours is a long space of time to get rid of, when one has nothing to do and feels utterly alone and dreary. Tired from her sleepless night, fevered by her journey and her anxiety, Bonne Marie went towards a green mass of waving boughs and leaves that she saw at the end of a street, and soon found herself in the Champs-Élysées. She seated herself on a bench in the shade of friendly trees, and looked with all of her eyes. Yes, this was the scene and the life of which she had dreamed. It was amid these fragrant flowers and these sparkling waters, for the hydrants were running freely, washing the dust from the turf and shrubs. It was surrounded by these fantastic cafes and restaurants that the girl felt her real life would now begin. She should soon see the carriages and foaming horses, with difficulty reined in by liveried coachmen, whose existence had hitherto been only in her imagination. Bonne-Marie's heart swelled with joy and pride. She was in Paris at last. Several old beaux passed her on horseback, but they took no notice of the pretty creature half-hidden among the azaleas. An occasional young man, irreproachably dressed, with that indescribable air of good society, would also appear in the distance. Bonne-Marie watched them all with intense interest and curiosity. "'Those are the people,' she said to herself, "'with whom I ought to live.' But the girl felt no impatience. She was so near the realization of her dreams now that she could afford to wait. She held her chimera by the wings, and she could feel it flutter under her fingers. A clock struck eleven. Whence came the sound she knew not, but it rang out clearly, detaching its strokes, as it were, from the confused sounds and distant roar of carriages. Bonne-Marie started, but it was with considerable difficulty that she rose, for all her limbs were stiff with fatigue, and returned to the pension. She was received this time by Mademoiselle Bocard, 
who was as smiling and urbane as her concierge had been the contrary. She was as round as pointed nose had been sharp. Figure and face, movements and smiles were all as soft and luxurious as an eastern rug. Bonne Marie was dazzled by this amiability, and thought herself on the threshold of paradise. "'You desire to find a situation, do you, my child?' said the lady kindly. "'It was Monsieur Martin who sent you to me, that most estimable of curés.' "'Yes, mademoiselle, it was Monsieur Martin, my curé, who has known me from childhood,' answered the young girl, lifting her eyes to those of the lady. "'Ah, uh, I have heard of you before. If I am not mistaken, you have not recently lost your father.' Bonne Marie coloured and assented silently. It cost her a heavy pang to feel this recent wound touched by this strange hand. By an accident, I believe. The caressing eyes of Mademoiselle Bocard met the troubled ones of Bonne Marie, and would unquestionably have succeeded in exhorting from the girl the secrets of her innermost heart, if that heart had happened to contain any. Tears prevented Mademoiselle Beslin from replying. The lady looked at her more sweetly than before. You have your diploma, I presume? Ah, yes, to be sure. You wish to be an under-teacher, but do you know anything of the duties of this position? I think and hope I do, answered the girl, for I was eight years at boarding school. What a frightful Cherbourg accent, thought Mademoiselle Bocard. Nothing can be done with her. Yet she continued to smile on the stranger, thinking that if she would consent to come without any salary, that she could dismiss the young girl just engaged to take care of the smaller pupils, and who was without a fault except that of costing twenty-five francs per month. "'You have some means, I presume,' insinuated Mademoiselle Bocard, "'and it is for the sake of a home and to perfect yourself in your studies that you desire a situation.' Bonne Marie understood the drift of this question instantly. Her clear Norman sense stood her in good stead in this emergency. She answered, therefore, while she mechanically put her hand to her breast to satisfy herself that the little pocket-book containing the two notes of a thousand francs each, which were sewed up in her father's mattress, was safe. I desire to perfect myself, mademoiselle, in all things, but I have no fortune, and I must rely on the work of my brains or my hands for the means of support. My readers have many of them seen the toy door close and the cuckoo who comes out to say the hour, in those tiny little clocks manufactured in the black forest. Accustomed as they may be, the sudden and invariable disappearance of the bird, they are none the less astonished each time it takes place. Just in the same way did Mademoiselle Bocard smile and depart, leaving no trace behind her. Unfortunately, she said, our number of teachers is complete. If Bonne-Marie had clasped her hands in supplication, and raised her lovely eyes swimming in tears, if she had implored her to save her from poverty, it is possible that, that the directress would have taken her out of pure compassion, in the place of the other who cost twenty-five francs on the condition be it understood that the newcomer received no salary. But nothing of this kind occurred. Mademoiselle Beslin, in a salutation so dignified and graceful, that it impressed the teacher, rose, and turned toward the door. How well she carries herself, thought Mademoiselle Bocard, but her accent is positively deplorable. Call again, she said aloud, about the time of the vacation, and it is quite probable that there will be some changes in the staff at that time. Many thanks, Mademoiselle, Bonne Marie answered with that haughty grace which had been bestowed upon her from some fairy godmother in her cradle, and she went away. Mechanically she turned her steps toward the Champs-Élysées again. The entire air and look of the place had undergone a marked change. There were no more carriages to be seen. The equestrians had disappeared. The few equipages had no coats of arms on their panels. They were from the livery stable, 
and contained people from the country or strangers who were wandering about from morning until dawn ever admiring the beauties of the capital all at once bonne marie realized that her appearance was the same as that of these country people it was the sight of a woman in deep mourning that had done this work of enlightenment and opened her eyes to this uncomfortable fact this woman was walking very fast but with a smooth gliding step her dress was rigidly plain and her black cashmere shawl was precisely like that worn by bonne marie her small hat of black crepe with its long veil had cost no more than the beribboned one worn by this young girl and yet what a world of difference in the hangings of those skirts in the folds of that shawl and in the way in which the hat was worn i am absurd said bonne marie to herself but it will not last long at cherbourg she had obtained the address of a small hotel kept by honest people she now went there for however indomitable her spirits might be her bodily strength was leaving her her quiet manner secured her instant admission and the mistress of the house at once took greatly into her favour this young girl who set herself at work so courageously to win her bread bonne marie was therefore happy in the thought that she had a shelter and was safe from the many perils which assail women on the slippery pavements of paris that same day towards evening the girl started out once more and went to various other persons to whom she had letters everywhere she was received in the same way and with the same result at one place however she was offered a class of twenty pupils at twenty francs per month breakfast would be given her in addition but her dinner and her lodging she must provide for herself she went out with a dull rage in her heart at such rapacity and asked herself how women could live who accepted such conditions end of chapter nine recording by susanna mason